0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: You're listening to the New Yorker Poetry Podcast. I'm Kevin Young, poetry editor of the New Yorker magazine. On this program, we invite poets to choose a poem from the New Yorker archive to read and discuss, along with one of their own poems that's appeared in our pages. My guest today is Craig Morgan Teicher, the poet and critic whose collection, The Trembling Answers, received the 2018 Lenore Marshall Poetry Prize from the Academy of American Poets. Welcome, Craig. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. So the poem you've selected from the archive is Sun by Forrest Gander. What drew you to this poem while you're looking through our archive?
0: Well, it has the same title as a, a poem of mine uh, that's in the archive, and so that made it easy. I actually had a really hard time picking a poem. I mean, there's <laughs> there's there's so. I mean, obviously there's so much. It's um, almost a hundred
1: years of you know, pretty good poems. Yeah, I,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, and you know, some of them really, some of the major poems of, yeah. of any poet's kind of education in poetry. But but finally, I I just sort of decided to go with my gut, and when I had first read this poem, uh, when it came out, it, it slaughtered me, and it, it, you know, wasn't that long ago, but I think of, you know, when I think of New Yorker poems that, that mattered to me,
1: this one kind of jumps right now. So, great, great. Well, why don't we hear the poem? Here's Craig Morgan Teicher reading Sun by Forrest Gander. Sun,
0: it's not the mirror that is draped, but what remains unspoken between us, Why say anything about death, how the body comes to deploy the myriad worm as if it were a manageable concept, not searing exquisite singularity, to serve it up like a eulogy or a tale of my own or your own suffering, some kind of self-abasement? And so we continue waking to a decapitated sun, and trees continue to irk me. The heart of charity bears its own set of genomes. You lug a bacterial swarm in the crook of your knee, and through my guts writhe helminth parasites. Who was ever only themselves? At Leptis Magna, when your mother and I were young, we came across statues of gods with their faces and feet cracked away by vandals. But for the row of guardian Medusa heads. No one so brave to deface those when she spoke when your mother spoke even the leashed greyhound stood transfixed i stood transfixed i gave my life to strangers i kept it from the ones i love her one arterial child it
1: is just in you her blood runs that was quite beautiful, and I loved how you read it. That was "Sun" by Forrest Gander, which ran in the April 16, 2018 issue of the magazine. And this poem, you know, is occasioned, it seems clear, by yeah. the loss of his wife, the great poet C.D. Wright, who happened to be my old teacher. Um, and so, this poem, uh, I remember reading it and thinking, what a powerful, uh, fearless, gimlet-eyed uh, poem. And, I, you know, just thinking of it technically on the page, you know, you have these couplets, which, of course, mirrors mm-hmm. these pairs, um, both uh, father and son and mother and, and son and husband and wife. You know, the whole of these connections, uh, you know, even us reader and, yeah. and and poet. And you also have that great slant rhyme. I kept it from the ones I love. It's just in you. Her blood runs, you know. Mm-hmm. Those sounds, I think. What do you make of sort of the form and the the tone, how they kind of coalesce in this yeah. poem? I mean,
0: I mean, so I, I think two things. You know, in in addition to the couplets, which of course, you have this kind of t- twinning, uh, the lines are wildly uneven. You know, and so there's this way that it seems to strain against that. Like, you know, it's a poem about failing to communicate, ultimately, and so there's this way that the that the, the misshapen lines seem to figure that, but then. The other thing that I, you know, especially reading it aloud, you know, this mix of short and long sentences, the grey, you know, the greyhound stood transfixed. I stood transfixed. These moments where um, he's repeating himself, he's he's trying to get it right and kind of mm-hmm. failing. Um, you know, in the second to last line, I gave my life to strangers. I kept it from the ones I love. I mean, he's trying to, he's almost trying to rewrite that phrase and make it more true or something. And uh, you know, that that seems to keep happening. That the sentences have these little
1: right tensions and arguments with each other they also have these great mix of anglo-saxon words and latinate words you lug a bacterial swarm in the crook of your knee and through my guts writhe helminth parasites mm-hmm. you know this kind of uh it almost seems sci-fi but you know this this uh medical uh language in a way and and here you have that tension too i think that is strange about losing someone you love, which is there is a kind of clinical quality to it, at least in our modern world. And 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 I
0: think for for Gander too. I mean, so much of his practice as a poet has been to take the language of science, the language of archaeology, the language of these academic disciplines, and then sort of export it into the beautiful mode of the lyric. And and I, I feel like the other tension this poem begins to figure is like the tension of habit, right? I mean, mm. that like he's trying to get out. I, I mean, this is as far as gander as vulnerable as he ever gets. You know, I mean, the, the book this comes from and, and this poem foremost in the book. And I feel like, you you know, he couldn't resist his tendency to include words like helminth parasites. And yet he's, you know, it's about her, her his child,
1: her child, you know, the, the, these very simple words. Right. Um, and I, and well, I, and, it's, and this title does that too. Mm-hmm. It places us in this way because it could be called something else uh, and it, it, it's a vector. Yeah. You know, son, it's not the mirror that is draped. Whoa. I mean from there yeah. you're, you're connecting to that tradition of mourning of draping a mirror uh, to the myriad worm, mm-hmm. which is like this terrifying yet uh, familiar, at least in the lyric poem, thing like, that, you know, he is th- connecting to this tradition of elegy that is both about being uh, clear-eyed about loss and death, but also thinking about meaning, you know, thinking yeah. about what's after.
0: And, and, you know, at some level only he would, would, would take the worm, which is such a, a basic word, and then get into like, well, what kind of worm and what <laughs> sorts of parasites do we all carry and yeah. how do they relate to the worms that come to us after death? And,
1: right. You know. Um, but he also is well aware to serve it up like a eulogy or a tale of my or your own suffering, you know, some kind of self-abasement. There's a self-critique in the whole poem that is also a critique about elegies in general, which are, you know, they do this thing, elegies, um, that is like, I can't possibly write or go on, and then <laughs> yeah, like yeah, the yeah. poem goes on for 50 pages. <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, I feel like also it's that after the death of a parent, you know, you want this conversation with the other parent, you know, mm-hmm. where they make it right, where they mm-hmm. uh, s- supply what has been taken mm-hmm. away. And, and this is also a, a critique of that wish in a mm-hmm. way, you know. I mean that, that, that he's saying, you know, why say anything about death? Like it, this, is, this is him trying to say the, anything about death and also
1: admitting I don't have much to say, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I'm grief stricken and I'm not much help. Right. And I, this description, her one arterial child, mm. that is a really powerful notion, you know, and that, that it goes back to the singularity of uh, as if death were a manageable concept and not a searing, exquisite singularity, which I, I think is such a beautiful phrase to describe a complicated, uh, disturbing singularity. And he's also then saying, you know, there's this oneness that I'm also trying to express, mm-hmm. and
0: I, I, I mean, I, I feel like I should have looked up exactly what the singularity connotes, but I, <laughs> but I, but I, I, I imagine this kind of, you know, what used to happen with old TVs when you'd shut them off, and it would all suck into this dot in the middle, right? You know, I mean, just that the the life sucks into this dot in the middle and is gone, and I mm-hmm. feel like that that's what the poem is trying to animate. Like that's how I mean that that's where he is right now. Like that life mm-hmm. has been. Mm-hmm. Kind of just sucked out of the world and he doesn't – he's just numb. And What do you make of this Medusa heads in the middle? I, um, I think it's amazing. So obviously we have the worms, right? Um, the worms at some level uh, emerge as a protection, right? No one wants to touch the worms. Um, but but also, uh, I don't know, this sort of inviolable afterlife uh, mm. c- creature. Um, mm-hmm. Well, it's
1: a, it's sort of myth and uh, connection, but also that these things aren't inviolable.
0: Yeah, yeah they, yeah, they yeah. can
1: be vandalized and gotten wrong, but no one dares against the Medusa heads.
0: Well, and, and I mean that that there's something that we won't touch. There's some, you know, and and. That that maybe we should stay away in our elegies. One, we can't
1: quite look at. And Mm, I think this transfiction uh, that happens Mm -hmm. with this greyhound, who I think Mm -hmm. I met once, you know, um, Mm -hmm. and then stands there transfixed. uh, There's a beauty in that, that there's, you know, and everything seems tied. Uh, It's very hard to write a poem that is autobiographical, but it isn't. I went to the store yesterday. You right, I mean? right. How do, you, how do you convey the vastness of the feeling? And what I try to help, you know, students or readers understand sometimes is that, you know, a good lyric poem especially enacts, you know. And yeah. this really does a lot of enacting both of memory and of, you know, of the process of grief and also that process you're mentioning where you can't quite say.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it it, it – it's also a marvelously concise catalog of a lot of what they did together, too. I mean, one of the main things they did was travel, right, and go to these, you know, excavate ruins. And, uh, you know, I mean, Sidi's new book that's just out is, is all about, tre- you know, these massive trees that, you know, she would go see that I'm sure they saw together. So just bringing the ruins in there as a metaphor mm-hmm. but also as just a a biographical note. I also think it's a he's, – he's dodging a little bit. You know, he's sort of going – to the left of where the poem needs to go in a way, because it's so painful. I hmm. mean, just to, just to leave the, the conversation and go to leptis
1: magna. Well, there's that idea, who was ever only themselves, which is an amazing question. It's a question of connection, but also of this, again, singularity that is being both invoked and violated at the same time. And these things that are on us and in us all the time, and some of them are Biological things, parasites, but some of them are also emotional things, and that kind of—it's another way of saying, uh, "Fine, then I contain multitudes." You know, uh, these multitudes are different, and I, I think every poet comes to their own multitude, and it's really powerful to see his eye mm-hmm. do that here. And
0: and I think one of the big figures in his multitude was C.D. You know, and I and I think that's there too. I mean that that. He – you know, the poem speaks to w- – without her, he feels like a good deal of his self is is absent and then trying to find it in the sun or one – you know, asking how – you know, can he look for it there? Is that even fair?
1: That powerful end, I gave my life to strangers. I kept it from the ones I love. I mean that's one's – that's uh, – story of poetry sometimes, you know, he's talking about being a poet, I feel. And um, what does that mean? How do you do that? And you know, I'm not a huge fan of a semicolon. That that oh. is a, a semicolon from the heaven. I, you know, it's like the most amazing caesura to to say these two things that are simultaneous and true.
0: Yeah. Well, and it. I mean, to me, it looks like a fulcrum. You know, yeah. like it makes for a seesaw, so that you never know which end of the sentence is is kind of the emphasized one. Yeah. Where it kind of rotates.
1: It's very powerful, and I think it, again, it's it's both a kind of twinning we were talking about but also a kind of duet mm-hmm. and a duet with silence within communication mm-hmm. but also uh, you know with that pause and mm-hmm. those, those two parts of that last line
0: mm-hmm. yeah um, and yeah it is about being a poet too it's like that you put your best stuff in the poems or that you retreat into your little writing nook <laughs> while the kids are still awake or you yeah. you know all of that stuff that we do to get the writing done
1: well, you have a son poem yeah. that we're going to look at too.
0: It's about the lack of the same conversation in a mm. way, you know, from a different angle. But, you know, in the background of this poem is, of course, the f- is is the fact that my mother died when I was 14. And so then my relationship with my father was very much about conversations
1: not had, you know, um, And continues to be. Um, Well, let's hear it. So, this is Son from the August 28th, 2017 issue of the New Yorker Son,
0: I don't even know where my father lives. I know his number, and whenever I call, he answers and gives the usual update about getting together with the stepkids and their kids, about the latest minor crises with his health, about what he did with Marianne for their anniversary. He lives somewhere in Connecticut, near where he lived before. It's been easy not to go there, but I know I should. There won't always be more time. There will
1: always be less. I don't even know my father's address. That was Son by Craig Morgan Teicher.
0: Hi, I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor of The New Yorker.
1: So this is a sonnet. Yeah. <laughs> um, did it come to you as a sonnet or was um, it something you fought toward or you always knew? Or how, Tell us about how that came about. Th- th-
0: this poem uh, came about five months into a time of writing nothing but rhyming sonnets, you know, of which there are probably 115
1: of them are not terrible and this is one of the not terrible ones. This is definitely not terrible. It, you know, like you rhyme Connecticut with butt in a way that is unexpected and um, powerful. Uh, so you were right on the sonnet binge, which I've been on those before. I mean, they're a powerful, addictive form. Yeah, yeah.
0: You can get a lot of stuff said in a little box. Yeah. And, and they
1: lead to more. <laughs> they, yeah, they're like right. a, they multiply. It's like meiosis or something. So tell me about this one in particular.
0: One of my favorite stories about this poem is that, of course, when The New Yorker accepted it, uh, I got a call and they were like, well, you know, we have to fact check it. And I thought, oh, God, because I was thinking if there's one place I can hide a poem from my father, (laughs) it's in the pages of The New Yorker, you know, and so I could just... Write this.
1: Hide in plain sight. I mean, you know, this is is a poet's thinking, by the way. (laughs) But OK, sure. Right.
0: And the poem definitely portrays a relationship that is worse than the one that we actually have, though there's, I think, a lot of truth to it. Sure. Um, You know, uh, but so I was like, oh, God, he's going to feel so bad. You know, he's going to read this and he's going to feel like I hate him. And, um, you know, but it it was fine. I had to call him and just be like, Dad, here's the poem. They're going to call you and ask, you know. I mean, I don't know what facts they yeah, were, were sure. going to check. They were like, do you live somewhere in Connecticut? And he's like, yes. <laughs> you know, so so there's a funny way that this poem about disconnection ended up creating a little bit of a connection. That's, um, that's amazing. I do think it's a poem in the same way that, that Forrest is saying, you know, why say anything about death? I mean, this is a poem written 25 years after that conversation yeah. should have happened and didn't, you know?
1: And so – I, I hate to ask about a sequence we don't have in front of us, but does the po- the po- do the poems think about this loss? Or
0: the the group of poems this comes from uh, is about moving to New Jersey, and it's mm-hmm. about kind of moving there as a family, as you know, and what that means to set up a life there, and what it means to have little kids and to pass down to them um, one's uh, you know the good the good things about oneself and one's um, you know one's griefs and the problems that
1: you will inevitably recreate in your children. Um, yeah, well, a sonnet is oddly suited for that because it's a form of inheritance. It's mm-hmm. an inherited form, mm-hmm. and you're in it. You're you're thinking about sort of expectation and lack of expectation. You know, and the rhyme does a really good job. There, will, there will always be less. I don't even know my father's address. That really. Uh, devastating rhyme, it, it does remind me a bit of Horace's of poem, which, of course, was published later. But
0: yeah, uh, well, and, and you know, with with rhyme, there's a wonderful way that rhyme makes things sound like they're facts,
1: you know, <laughs> like, it must be
0: true if it rhymes, <laughs> um, something that
1: politicians seem not to understand. Um, and so what, what does rhyme do for you? Is it connection? Is it?
0: I, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I, I think I love the way that 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 rhyme, Creates this inevitable sense of association between two words that have nothing to do with each other. And, you know, rhyming Connecticut and but elevates the word but a heck of a lot, you know. Um right. And it's but with one T. Um, <laughs> sure. You know, and, and uh, you know, to create an association between the word before and more, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. Uh, they have to do with each other, you know. Yes, yes. Especially in this context. But but then also there's just the wonderful sense of like making it click, you know, and and. Um, writing and rhyme reminds me of the makes me feel like words are things you know mm-hmm. because it, it it's about the sound and, and so you you sense them as as sonic objects as little wave, wave lengths that are clicking together
1: I love that and I love the word inevitable you used you know there isn't something when you look back at a solidly made poem that you want to move you know or change it feels exactly right and again, this I, while it might be very close to you, it has this kind of quality of uh, any son and yeah. any son's relationship to, in this case, a father.
0: Well, and, and I, I think that's one of the other things that I love about using received forms and about rhyme. Um, life doesn't happen in rhyme or in form. And so I feel like just writing something in a f- form like this gives you a certain distance, you know, makes it a little bit more like fiction. That can be helpful in terms of being able to say things. I mean, you know, and say things that are hard. I mean, again, it's like I think the leptis magna moment is also like Forrest giving himself a way to say something, getting away from the most painful matter with something that he finds interesting to think about so that he can get
1: back to that transfixed um, greyhound and himself. Well, and that's also metaphor, as you take something far from something else and say, they are the same. I'm going to put them next to each other. It's like when you make the still life uh, of these two or three things, suddenly it's activated and there's a connection. And some of that is rhyme. Some of that is juxtaposition, especially, I think, in a free verse poem. The juxtaposition has become all the more important. And the I or the EYE that takes you through these aspects of, of one's selfhood are really powerful.
0: And I, and, and I think one of the most amazing things that, that can happen in poetry and maybe nowhere else, and it definitely happens in Forrest's poem, is when you actually are trying not to say the thing, but metaphor makes you say it, you know, <sighs> that, that you come back around the other side. He was almost trying not to talk about C.D. and then, you know, with that Medusa, but it, it forces him in a way. Mm. Um,
1: well, because you said this wonderful thing that I'm, I had to write down, life doesn't happen in rhyme. But in a way, it happens in metaphor. And, and so the, the, the metaphor is kind of like an image rhyme or an emotional rhyme. Like these two things are connected for me. And I think there's something about that with place in your poem, uh, the phone call. Mm-hmm. There's that, that kind of place and distance thing that we've all experienced mm-hmm. in some way that you really make kind of both specific. And I love the use of the name in the poem. But then also universal.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, there's a sense I feel like that I, I'm not calling from so far away. And wherever I am, Connecticut's not that far. But gosh, I wouldn't go there. Um, I, but does life happen in metaphor? I, <laughs> I, I wonder. I'm making contentions. <laughs> Let's do it. I mean, I just, you know, I, I we can't talk about it other than in
1: metaphor. Yeah. There, it is true that once, like, especially death, death is not a metaphor. No. <laughs> no. And that's what's so, you know, it is real and utter uh, and utterly— you know, complete and unknowable and done and final in a way. But we make metaphors of it or try to approach it as writers, as livers, you know. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's what interests me is the way we make meaning. Uh, and I think sonnets are very aware of making meaning. And of the making
0: part of it, you yes. know, of the, um, the effort part of it. They are they're synthesized. They're, they're synthetic.
1: And that artifice is a kind of bomb, mm-hmm. in a weird way. Mm-hmm. At least I find. Oh, def definitely. So, are you writing more of them? There. Are, this was like a two-year period <laughs> where I wrote nothing. But I'm. So not so much. You, have you published them as a whole? Yeah, I mean, as, they're, they're, they're they're they're
0: in they're in my my new manuscript, um, and a few of them have appeared here and there. But no, not as a whole.
1: And so, tell us. I want to turn a little bit and and talk about sort of your day work, or mm-hmm. you know. Uh, at Publishers Weekly. Uh, Tell us about what you do there and and how you approach it.
0: Well, uh, I am the director of special editorial projects. So what does that mean? Uh, I don't know. I edit our sponsored content is essentially what I do, which is, you know, kind of the new frontier of magazine Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. advertising. Um, So I'm in charge of that. Um, I mean, I've worked there for 14 or 15 years now, so I've kind of had every job yeah. one can have there. And um, you've championed
1: poetry there in a way that yeah. I think has been really important.
0: Yeah, I mean, and and so um, I, st- I no longer edit the poetry reviews. I I uh, recently hired a wonderful young poet named Maya C. Popa to, to edit those reviews, um, and so I get to work with her a little bit. Um,
1: but yeah. and do you still get to see... The breadth of what's out there and poetry and and how do you see what's out there in poetry, which is a question I get. So I'm happy to ask someone else. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and and I I do a lot of writing about poetry uh,
0: for for many publications. So I, you know, I still, one ends up on these galley lists and one gets galleys forever, which is wonderful. Um, And, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, Every year I do a thing for NPR where I look at the coming year and so I get everyone to tell me what they have coming out in the whole next year and then I sort of see it and make my picks for what I think is important. But I'm I'm always surprised in a way that there are always these like dozen books that seem to actually really speak about the moment and I always wonder if that's – you know, they they were all accepted two years ago. <laughs> right. you know, but somehow – I don't know. Um, there's a book called uh, Hybrida coming out um, by Tina Chang, and it's incredible. And it seems to me to be just this this book that that we need this year so much. Um, It's about, you know, raising her son who is, you know, whose father is black and she's um, Asian and just sort of what that – just the fears that 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 is, you know, engendering in her. Any other ones? Um, Yeah. Well, for formal poetry, there's this wonderful poet I hadn't known about before named um, Chelsea Rathburn, and it's this book from LSE Press, and she's just, she's a dedicated formalist. Every poem is in a rhymed form. The poems are as dismal as you could possibly, you know, they're, they're about just raising a child and a family and being, you know, just feeling all the sadnesses that come with life, but um, it's just marvelous.
1: Every, you know, everything clicks in it. It's just wonderful. Um These are good suggestions, yeah, and good poets. I mean, I think there's the larger question, which is, are you surprised anymore by the breadth and you know health of American poetry for one or English language poetry or the poetry that's being written now all over the world?
0: I mean, it you know i I don't think I could have imagined ten years ago what would happen, which is that poetry, uh, for better and worse, but mostly for better, has become something that can speak a lot closer to the mainstream uh, than, you know, ever before. I mean that that a poet like Dennis Smith can actually talk to regular people who don't, you know, who didn't decide to dedicate their lives to poetry. And I mean so I think a lot of people are reading these things that are really thinking in really nuanced ways uh, uh, about all kinds of uh, experiences. I mean, it's it's sort of dizzying, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how to, you know, I I don't like social media enough to want to keep up with it, but, um, you know, there's a lot of incredible poetry coming out, and it's it's very urgent. And I, that's right. You know, I it it was not looking like that would happen.
1: Yeah, I mean, a few years ago, I wrote about poetry of necessity, and I feel like it's all around us now. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's this necessary thing that people are turning to for the truth that's in poetry that, you know, may outlast a soundbite or should outlast, you know, even us. And there's that really interesting uh, fervor and uh, urgency, as you put it, that I, I see every day.
0: And, and you know, there's also become a place for poetry that maybe doesn't last for, you know, eons, but that communicates in its moment using all those nuanced tools and then is you know, irrelevant before it could even make it into a book, you know. But but poetry was never able to communicate that way before, you know, like a, like a part of a conversation. So that's kind of incredible.
1: That's great. Well put. Craig, thanks so much for chatting with yeah, us today. It's a pleasure. Sun by Craig Morgan Teicher, as well as Forrest Gander's poem, "Son," can be found on newyorker.com. Forrest Gander's most recent poetry collection is Be With... Craig Morgan Teicher's latest book, As We Begin in Gladness, How Poets Progress. You may subscribe to this podcast, the Fiction Podcast, the Writer's Voice Podcast, and the
0: Politics and More Podcast by searching for The New Yorker in your podcast app. You can hear more poetry read by the authors on newyorker.com and on the New Yorker app, available from the App Store or from Google Play. The theme music is... The Corner, by Christian Scott Atunde-Ajua, courtesy of Stretch Music and rope A dope The New Yorker Poetry Podcast is produced by Jill Duboff of newyorker.com, with help from Hannah Eisenman. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour.